Yesterday I talked about Sampujanya. I talked about how in the Anapanasati Sutta the word mindfulness is mentioned only once and is followed by the verb Pajanadi, which means to be aware or to know. And the verb Pajanati is very close to Sambhajanya because the verb for Sambhajanya is Sam Pajanati. Just an additional prefix Sam in front of the Pajanati. There's bare awareness. Without the Sam, there's probably just a knowing, a very basic rudimental knowing. And then when it goes to Sambhajanya, then it's clearly knowing, clearly aware, in a wider sense. There is, in fact, a training rule in the Vinaya Pitaka for monks. It's called Sampajana Musawade Bhachityam, which means to say, in telling a lie deliberately, clearly knowing that is an offense called Bhachitya. Sampajana is not always used in positive way. It can also be used in a negative sense, in a sense that when you tell a lie, you can also be clearly knowing, clearly aware that you are going to tell a falsehood. In fact, the conditions for telling a lie is that you know that it's untrue. And then you deliberately want to convey the untruth as though it's true. There's clearly knowing. Clearly knowing means you are clearly aware of circumstances. Yesterday I talked about Sadhisambhajanya as the fifth step in the gradual training. I said that many meditation teachers interpret that to mean being aware of the physical movements of your activity during the day. I also pointed out that in a particular sutta, in the Satipatthana Sangyutta called Sati Sutta, the Buddha defined Sambhajanya in a different way, not in terms of bodily activities, but in terms of mental activity. Fully being aware when feelings, initial thinking and perceptions arise, persist, and pass away. And also introduce the bar test, B-A-R-R. And I said that in the retreat situation, if you're a yogi, if you are able to catch your initial thinking, which may be an urge, an intention to think, to say, or to do something, then you can process it according to the bar test. First is whether it's beneficial, if it's not beneficial, then you can forget about going to A and R. But you can jump to the last R to look at how this thought arose, the causes and conditions behind this thought, and to see it in terms of anicca, dukkha, anatta. Impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self. 
Basically, that was what I talked about yesterday. Besides also trying to clarify the words awareness, consciousness, and clear awareness. I also said that clear awareness has a range from intellectual understanding, acceptance of second-hand knowledge, like getting the right view. And it goes on to intelligent application of the right view. You have acquired right view and how you're going to apply in practice. That is the application part, using your intelligence to apply. Then finally, as a result of intelligent application of your right view, then insight arises. I say that Sambhajanya actually covers a range from intellectual acceptance to intelligent application to insight. So insight is a result of the first two. Collecting the right information, using that information to apply in actual practice so that you can personally verify what you have learned and finally resulting in insight. Insight is a non-intellectual knowing, seeing which lights up and it's like an aha, it could be very dramatic, it could change your whole mindset in looking at things and make you into a very different character for the better. Or it could be small little insights uh, which make you gradually change your, your lifestyle, your mindset, your behavior. Today I'm going to connect this range of Samadhanya to Samatha and Vipassana. These are very common words that are used in the Buddhist circles among meditators and there's been a lot of confusion about what is Samatha and what is Vipassana. Actually, that confusion is totally unnecessary because the Buddha himself had very, very clearly defined what is Samatha and what is Vipassana in one particular sutta and a few others. And that sutta is called Tatya Samadhi Sutta. The third sutta on Samadhi, composure, found in the Anguttara Nikaya Book of Force. There the Buddha talked about four types of individuals in this world. There's one who has internal Tranquility of mind, but no vipassana or distinct seeing of things with higher wisdom. In Pali, it's called adipanya dhamma vipassana. Adipanya is higher wisdom, dhamma is of things, and vipassana is distinct seeing. Distinct seeing of things with higher wisdom. This person has got samatha, internal stillness of mind. Ajatang jeto samatha. That is the Pali. Internal stillness of mind. But he does not have distinct seeing of things with higher wisdom. That's the first individual. The second individual is opposite. He has 
distinct seeing of things with higher wisdom, but he does not have internal stillness of mind. The third person is someone who does not have either. Neither vipassana nor samatha. And the fourth person is someone who has both. Let's go back to these four types of person. The first one, the Buddha says, a person who has samatha but no vipassana, he should try to go and learn vipassana from someone who has vipassana. The second person who has vipassana but no samatha should go and learn samatha from somebody who has the experience of samatha. And the third person who doesn't have either should go and learn from somebody who has both. And the last one who has both should not rest complacent with his attainment but to strive on until the ultimate goal, the ultimate liberation of arahanship. Instead of going to the first person, I go to the second one first. Because the first person is supposed to ask someone who has vipassana how to do vipassana. Second person who has vipassana should go and ask somebody who has samatha. So I'm going to start with samatha first. Easier. The second person who doesn't have samatha, who has vipassana but no samatha, should approach someone who has samatha and ask him four questions. But before we go to the four questions, you look at these two individuals, it's very strange, isn't it? that a person without internal, without samatha, can have vipassana. Normally we say we must have samatha first before we get vipassana. But this second person is a special person. He can get vipassana, but no samatha. So how on earth can he see things clearly without having a still mind? That's a big question. It's just some people are more intellectually inclined. They can intellectually look at things, and from there they can get their insight without going to samatha. It seems it's possible. But the Buddha says that that's not enough, that's not complete. Even if you have vipassana without samatha, you should go and approach someone who has samatha and ask him four questions how to do samatha. The first question is how to make the mind stand still. I mean, this I'm translating literally. The second question is how to make the mind sit still. And the third question is, how to make the mind unify? How to unify the mind? And the last question is, how to compose the mind? It seems like it is a linear process. First, you make the mind stand still, and then you make the mind sit down, and then you make the mind unify, and then you make it compose. How is this imagery to be understood? The way I understand it is that the mind is running all over the place, right? Normally people are thinking this and that, they have been distracted by thoughts, and that's why it's not still. So you make it stand. Make it stand in the sense that it's more stable than running all over the place. But once you make it stand, it's still not as stable as sitting down, right? Sitting down is more stable. So you make it even more stable, make it sit down. And after you sat down, then you unify it. And finally, once it's unified, you compose it. That's what Samatha is. Samatha is always talking about the mind. All the questions are about the mind. How to make the mind stand. How to make the mind sit. How to unify the mind. How to compose the mind. The thing that you're working with 
in samatha is the mind. How you steal the mind. Samatha means stealing. How do you steal the mind? Let's go back to the first person. The first person has samatha but no vipassana. He's supposed to go and ask somebody who has experience in vipassana, ask him three questions. First question is, how to view sankharas? Well, sankharas is a Pali word for what I called constructions yesterday. Constructions are things that are made, are constructed out of causes and conditions. They can also be the cause and condition for other constructions. Uh, they could be passively the result of causes and conditions, and at the same time, they could also be actively the cause and condition for other sankharas, other constructions. For example, this building here, this building here actually is a passive result of various causes and conditions. But it is also, you could say, another cause and condition for you to be able to come here and sit and enjoy the peace and quiet. Correct. Without this sala, you wouldn't be able to sit here. You'll be sitting under the trees and then be exposed to the rain and uh, monkey shit. Another obvious thing is the sankhara that involves volition. This sankhara, this construction of this building, does not have volition, but it is still another cause and condition for people being able to hold retreats and make use of this space in comfort. Even the sankhara in the five aggregates, the fourth aggregate is called sankhara. This sankhara is a special sort of sankhara because this sankhara involves volition. It's something volitional. This is different from something which is not volitional, like feelings are not volitional. And I said yesterday, sanya or perception, spontaneous memory is not volitional. It happens by itself. Consciousness is not volitional. It happens because the conditions are there. You've got no choice. Because your eyes are in good condition, because your ears are in good condition, for example, if there's a loud sound, you've got no choice, you've got to hear it. The fourth aggregate, Sankhara, has got will or volition involved. That is when you start to think of wanting to do this, the urge of wanting to do this, wanting to do that, wanting to say this, wanting to think this, that is the Sankhara. That is the Sankhara of the five aggregates. This one is associated with will or volition. Whereas the Sankharas that we are talking about, the general Sankhara is everything. Whether there is will or no will, it is a product of causes and conditions. This covers all sorts of constructions that come about because of causes and conditions, regardless of whether there is will or volition or not. The question is, how to view Sankharas? That's the first question. The second question is, how to investigate Sankharas? And the third question is, how to distinctly see Sankhara? Now the word to distinctly see is the verb of vipassana. Katang Sankhara Vipasitabha How are Sankharas to be distinctly seen? Vipassana literally means distinct seeing. 
Vipassana is the end result of these three steps. Or rather, it is the third step, which is the result of the first two steps. The first step, number one, how to view sankharas. Number two, how to investigate sankhara. When you do these two, then the insight will arise. And that is vipassana. Distinct seeing of sankharas. Now you will notice here that there's a difference between samatha and vipassana. Samatha, we are talking about citta. How to make the mind stand, how to make the mind sit, how to unify the mind, how to compose the mind. So the word citta or the mind is the central focus. But here, the object of vipassana is not the mind, but it's sankhara. Sankhara constructions, which include everything. It includes the mind as well as things that are not the mind. Whatever that appears in your field of awareness and is due to cost and condition, that is construction, that is sankhara. The first question is how to view. Scientists also look at sankharas, they look at physical phenomena and they try to figure out the laws of nature with regard to physical phenomena and they understand it so well, they can calibrate so meticulously that they can even invent some device or contraption or vehicle to send people to the moon, to outer space and come back safely. And now all your electronic devices is a product of research into sankharas, physical sankharas to see how they work. But you don't view these sankharas the way Buddhists view them in order to distinctly see them and be liberated. They view all these sankharas to understand how they work so that they can manipulate it for the convenience of mankind. Different objective. In Buddhism, we view sankharas in such a way so that it will help us to be liberated from sankhara, of the round of birth and death. What is this view? This is right view. Right view, like I said yesterday, the right view about the moral law of cause and effect, the physical law of cause and effect, and the mind-body law of cause and effect, how the mind and body affect one another. This is the right view. And to refine it further, right view means looking at sankhara in terms of impermanence, suffering and not-self. This is the theory part. The first question this person who has attained samatha is supposed to ask the person who has the experience in vipassana is a theory. How do I go about meditating? The first thing you need to do is establish right view. How to view sankharas. You have to view sankharas in a certain way. This is gathering information. Like I have been feeding you with a lot of information. Once you've got the right view, the second step is how to investigate sankharas. Now I've got the right view. How am I going to make use of this right view to look at sankharas so that distinct seeing can occur? The Pali word actually for investigate in this case is katang sankhara samasitabha. This Pali word samasitabha actually comes from the word amasadi. Amasadi means like kneading flour to make a cake. You put water in the flour and make it available and then you knead it. Uh, that is called amasadi. Or literally, it means how do you properly knead sankhara? How do you knead it? 
so that insight can arise. This is actually how to apply your right view in practice. That's what many teachers are for. They are here to tell you how to do it. If not, you just read the text, you understand all the theory, but you don't know how to put it into practice. Here we tell you, what do you do when your mind is composed? Then what do you do? You investigate by inclining your mind to verify this right view. That everything is an Nicha Dukkha impermanent, suffering and not-self. Everything is due to cause and conditioning. I've been feeding you with a lot of information, telling you what is cause, what is conditioning, how to see. Now it is your job to verify that in practice. And to verify that, you don't do it intellectually. You're already gathering all the information intellectually. Your subconscious has already stored all this information. You don't need the conscious mind to get out and try to go and figure out. All you need to do is just step back and keep with your senses, decompose, and then you just incline the mind to want to know. When the causes and conditions are right, wisdom will arise. That's how the last one, how are sankharas to be distinctly seen, is to be achieved. Not by intellectual thinking, but by inclining the mind to verify what you already know intellectually. You get it? Is it clear? Easier said than done, huh? I tell you it's easy, you can understand, but how are you going to incline the mind? How is the wisdom going to come? You're still, you might still have a lot of doubts about it. <laughs> but don't worry, just do. When, when the time is right, it will arise. Just be patient and be persistent. Although there is this second individual, the special individual who can have vipassana without stillness of mind, I would say that this is a very extraordinary and exceptional person. So I'm assuming that most of you are not this type of person, that you need to do samatha first to compose your mind before you can look at uh, sankharas and investigate their true nature. That's why I ask you to compose your mind first. There are two ways of composing the mind, basically. One is what I call focused awareness, and the other one is non-focused or open awareness. I also explained to you the other day that whether it's focused awareness or unfocused or open awareness, they both work on the same principle. Because the mind can only take one object at a time, you just make sure the mind is busy with something, then it won't get caught up in thoughts. What is it that makes the mind uncomposed? It is thoughts. All those thoughts about the past and all those projections in the future made from past experiences and memories, these are the things that distract you and make you not composed. In order to be composed, very simple. You just have to disengage yourself from all this compulsive thinking, compulsive rumination, obsessive thoughts. Last night there was some sad news. One of our yogis, uh, very close friends, passed away. And uh, he was very affected, obsessed with this thought ruminating and projecting, worrying and having compassion for the survivors that uh, disrupted his uh, sleep last night. 
when the mind becomes obsessed with an idea or with such thought, he was very much affected by all this sadness. He couldn't sleep very well. So in such cases, it may not be advisable to sit down and meditate if your samadhi is not strong enough. Particularly if you do focus awareness, even worse, you try to watch the breath. The mind is fixed on the breath and then it will be dragged away by this thought. The mind will only be between the breath and the thought and it will make it even worse. It will magnify it even worse. In such cases, what you do is you can do something more drastic. Do something which is more effectively involving your whole body. Go and do some sweeping or packing or do something that needs your immediate attention to distract yourself from such obsessive thoughts. In fact, this is one of the things that is recommended in a sutta called Vittaka Santana Sutta, Madhyamanikayam 19 or 20. When you cannot handle it, then you have to get up and do something active so that your mind is actively distracted by things that you need to attend to. You all heard of the English saying, time heals all wounds, correct? If you distract yourself doing other things, then the intensity of your obsession will get less naturally. Even though you don't deliberately try to do anything about it, you're just distracted doing other things. This, the intensity of affecting your mind will automatically decrease. When that happens, or later when your mind is calmer, you can sit down and you can continue your meditation. Remember this, because don't think that if you're a meditator, you've got such problems, you just sit down and you can overcome it. Sometimes it's so obsessive, you can't do that. So you have to resort to more drastic measures. Or sometimes you can just go jogging, go hiking, go to the forest, go swimming, do something active to occupy your mind. This is about Vipassana. I've already given you a lot of information, telling you how to view Sankharas, and telling you what are Sankharas. I've also told you how to go about investigating Sankharas so that insight can arise. So it's just your job to do it. But a lot of people tend to forget. They forget to look at things in terms of not self, for example. It seems it's quite easy to see things arise and pass away, arise and pass away, but still the identification with that is still there. My thoughts, my feelings arose and passed away. The mind is still there. Perhaps you should do something more drastic than just me telling you every day. Maybe that's not enough. You have to remind yourself more often. I'm going to ask you to do what the Buddha said is anatta sanya bhavana. Develop the perception of not-self. And this can be found in the Anatta Lakana Sutta, the second discourse that the Buddha gave. This is an interesting discourse because the first discourse is the discourse on the turning of the view of the Dhamma, where the Buddha talks about the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Path. 
And in the process of uh, listening to this talk, one of them got awakened. The rest did not get awakened. But the Buddha put them on retreat mode. They were doing intensive retreat. As they were doing intensive retreat, after that talk, there were five of them all together, one by one, attained awakening to the first stage of awakening, become Sotapan. When all of them became Sotapan, become stream enterers, then the Buddha gave them another discourse called the Anatta Lakana Sutta, a discourse on the characteristic of not-self. Well, it's interesting because a person who has attained to stream entry is supposed to be free from the wrong view that there is a self. Correct? There's no wrong view that there is a permanent unchanging self. But why is the Buddha giving another discourse on our self? They already sort of panma. They already know there's no, no self. But that's only on the surface. It is only the view that there is no permanent unchanging entity. But they have not realized it internally. You know, the sense of I is still there. The Buddha got them together and then asked them about the five aggregates. He says, is the five aggregates permanent or impermanent? They say, it's impermanent. If it's impermanent, they say, sukha or dukkha? Then they say, oh, it's dukkha. The Buddha says, if it's impermanent and changing all the time and it's dukkha, is it right to regard it as mine, me, or myself? And then the monk say, no, Bhante. Then the Buddha went through all the five aggregates and he says, therefore, monks, this is what you should do. Whatever any of the five aggregates, whether it's past, present, future, or whether it's nearby, or whether it's far away, whether it's gross or refined, whether it's internal or external, all of the five aggregates are to be regarded as are to be viewed with right wisdom as it is, as this, that's not mine, that's not me, that's not myself. Alright, that's what you're going to do. Sit comfortably. Sit comfortably with your back straight, head straight, eyes open, as you breathe in, stay still, don't move your limbs or what, just stay still. As you breathe in, you say, that's not mine. As you breathe out, you say, that's not me. As you breathe in again, you say, that's not myself. And as you breathe out, you say, thus is this. Breathe in. To be seen, breathe out, as it is.
you don't breathe in, you say, this, that's not mine. Breathe out, that's not me. Breathe in, that's not myself. Breathe out, thus is this. Breathe in, to be seen. Breathe out, as it is. That's not mine. That's not me. That's not myself. Thus is this to be seen as it is. So keep on doing that. Do it mentally by yourself with your eyes open. Eyes open and maintain in a focused gaze while you do the breathing. How many of you cannot get the words? Cannot remember the words? Hands up. Let's do it together. I mean, not the breathing. You just repeat after me and then once you get used to it, you do it in the breathing yourself. That's not mine. That's not me. That's not myself. Thus is this to be seen 
as it is. That's not mine. That's not me. That's not myself. Thus is this to be seen as it is. That's not mine. That's not me. That's not myself. Thus is this to be seen as it is. That's not mine. That's not me. That's not myself. Thus is this to be seen as it is. Got it? Do it while you breathe. Eyes open, maintain an unfocused gaze.
once the mind gets used to the words, you can also do open awareness simultaneously. And apply those words to the sense objects as well as the awareness of the sense objects. In other words, apply those words. That's not mine, that's not me, that's not myself to the subject as well as the objects. Okay, everybody got the words? Quite simple. In fact, this is directly from the Sutta, from Anattalakana Sutta, where the Buddha asked the monks, this is how we should view the five aggregates. Whether it's five aggregates of the past, present, future, near or far, cross or subtle, internal or external. We're supposed to view them in this way, regard them in this way. That's not mine, that's not me, that's not myself.
So this is like reprogramming your mind, you know, reprogramming your system, reformatting your hard disk to look at things in a certain way. Yeah, most people come for retreats once or twice a year and then they try to compose their minds and they try to see a bit of Anicca Dukkha Anatta and by the time they manage to see a bit of it, it's time to go home. <laughs> and then when they're back home, it's all back to Nicca, Sukha Anatta. Where I got chance to get out of Sansara? <laughs> you have to do this. Perhaps every time you start to sit, you do this, you start off with this for about five or ten minutes. Right? Enough. While you're doing this, when you become very used to it, you can also practice open awareness at the same time. Can you see that? While you are reciting this mentally, breathing in, breathing out, it's also bringing you composure. Your mind is not running all over the place. And you can also be aware of what's happening in the senses. And like I said, apply that to the objects and the subject. The subject that is knowing all this is not mine, it's not me, it's not myself. The objects that are happening around also is not mine, it's not me, that's not myself. That's why it says, thus is this to be seen as it is, as it is happening. So it's a reminder to you you could sit down with this for the first five or ten minutes, and after that you could drop it. But if it still works, if it still goes on in the background, it's okay. You can still continue with your open awareness. But I think this will bring you closer to see things in the light of not-self. I shall repeat a few things. Earlier, I've said several times before, because yogis tend to forget, even though you say the same things again and again. If your mind is very unsettled, many thoughts coming and going, coming and going, then you apply the other anchor, but when it comes to the second A, acknowledge. If there are too many thoughts, don't acknowledge them. Don't ignore them either. You know them and then you just come back to your senses. When your mind becomes more composed, meaning the thoughts become space apart. One thought, then no thoughts, another thought, no thoughts. It's not one after another, or one whole bunch of it coming that can overwhelm you. That one you cannot, you have no chance to acknowledge them. You just know, okay, a whole bunch of thoughts are there. Then immediately you try to come back to your senses. And then in the case of a very obsessive object, you can't do sitting, you can do something more active, sweeping or doing something, it occupies your senses. And then when you cool down, then only you can do meditation more formally. Walking, when you do walking in SPS, it's very nice because it's got so much open spaces. When you walk, you can do panoramic awareness. Don't just focus on your feet, on your legs. Look at the space in front of you, not focusing on any particular object, and open up your awareness. You're aware of everything. And in particular, to see how your mind is reacting to what is impinging on it. When your mind becomes composed, in the sense that most of the time it's with the senses and only sporadic, or one or two thoughts come once in a while, or maybe some deep-seated issues begin to pop up, then you can investigate. 
you try to see the cause and condition behind these thoughts, how they arise. You don't have to do that for every single thought. But you just incline your mind to want to know. Actually, it's very strange. If you incline your mind to just want to see the cause and conditioning, you may just do that for the whole day. Any thought that arises, immediately the mind will catch and see the cause and conditioning. You don't have to do it deliberately. It's because you already pre-programmed your mind to do so. It's like a scheduled task in a computer. You schedule it and you will just do it. Whenever any thought arises, you will immediately see the cause and condition. And now you are also, in addition, reformatting your hard disk. That's not mine. That's not me. That's not myself. So when you see things, when things happen, automatically the mind will look at it that way. A lot of our sufferings come about because of identification. People are very self-conscious, suffer from that. Self-identification with their thoughts, their feelings, their perceptions, their projections. I hope that when you try to develop this anatta sanya, the perception of not-self, it will help you to resolve such issues easier. Remember, it is to be seen as it is. Right? You have to apply what you program your mind to see. Apply it in actual practice. To what is happening at the senses, to what is happening at the mind, the subject. In fact, the subject is more important than the objects. I know many of you come from this focused awareness background, and you're always trying to look at objects, seeing the objects arising and passing away, trying to see the arising, the uh, persisting and the passing away of objects. It's not as important. As I said, here I ask you to step back and maintain an unfocused gaze. It's like it's a panoramic awareness. You are not looking at anything in particular. You know that there are many sensations in the body, but you are not pinpointing at any particular touch point or rising and falling or breath long and short. There are many sounds happening and you're not zeroing to see any particular sound. You're not trying to identify anything. But you sit outside there, facing the valley, and you've got a whole panorama of hills. Yeah, you're not going to look at every single tree or every single blade or every single leaf, right? You're just looking there and everything is just there. You have a panoramic view, but you're not focusing on any particular thing. The same thing. You are not focusing on any of the objects, but actually you are focusing on the subject. You are trying to see how the mind is behaving with respect to the senses and itself, and also its reactions. And you suppose you have to see that three characteristics inside there, as well as causes and conditions. Inclining your mind to verify that. Let me stop here tonight. Any questions? Yes. Thus is this. Thus is this means uh, this. Uh, that's not mine. That's not me. That's not myself. These three things is to be seen as it is. Anyone? You can ask something. Only three. Three for Vipassana, four for Samatha. Anyone else? Yes. He says, 
people who gave you that perception. If you read Anatta Lakana Sutta, it's very obvious the Buddha says this is how you should do it. You see, after the Buddha you know, gave them a logical conclusion, you see, are the five aggregates permanent or impermanent? It's impermanent. What is impermanent is Sukha Dukkha, is Dukkha. What is Dukkha and changing all the time? Is it right to regard it as mine, me, myself? No, Vante is not. Therefore, monks, you should do this. You should view everything, past, present, and future, as not mine, not me, not myself. This is just programming your mind. This is what the Buddha says, Anatta Sanya, the perception of Anatta. The Buddha also says that you should develop the perception of Anatta. As I said, you start off with this. After that, you stop. And then you try to verify this in the actual experience. That verification is not intellectual. This is really programming your subconscious to look at things in a certain way. Yes. See, it's not just experiential, it's also deductive. Right? Okay, enough for today.